All right, welcome back to another AltMed episode with my trusty co-host. I'm doing the intro this week, Andrew Dowling. G'day, Mitch. We have a fantastic guest, one we've been looking forward to having for a while now, Dr. Jim Connell, who is the co-founder and medical officer at Heyday Medical. So welcome, Jim, to the show. Thanks for having me, lads. Great to be here. Great to be had. Um, so in terms of, we got a lot of things to cover today. Um, it might, as we always do, benefit the listeners to start off with a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, how you got into the space, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, why cannabis, why now, and, and all the rest. All right, wonderful. Thanks, Mitch. <laughs> um, so first off, I'm, I'm a GP, um, and I have been, you know, always had a, an interest in chronic and complex disease management. I had, you know, uh, I was passionate about palliative care and mental health. Um, and chronic pain and you know, working within the regular general practice field I was finding that the therapeutic tools that we had available were you know effective some of the times but were often only effective for certain elements of someone's symptoms or disease and would often cause side effects in other areas and they weren't treating the whole whole person um, and they weren't necessarily they were treating the pathology rather than the person and weren't necessarily giving them a better quality of life by, by, by focusing in on those symptoms. So when I came across cannabis as, as a medicine, it piqued my interest because there was a void um, that, that there was a void in regards to the therapeutic tools that I, that I had available to me. And I was very fortunate that in the practice where I was at was an early adopter um, of medical cannabis. And, and at the time, um, I, like I think most, uh, most clinicians out there, believed that there were huge hurdles in administrative red tape to navigate to be able to prescribe medical cannabis, but he showed me that it was actually quite a straightforward process and gave me some names of different companies to, to start with. And, and then it just sort of organically went from there. And I, with my you know, regular, regular patients who I'd already had that longstanding sort of um, history with, I started prescribing some cannabis medicines really sort of started with CBD predominant treatments because I knew that that was the you know most tolerable and and and, and I guess the easiest place to start but and started getting some good results and some bad results and they were sort of mixed mixed results and I just wanted to know to know more why some patients were responding why others weren't and I just went down the the rabbit hole I guess um, and it really just resonated with me the whole the whole time um, and I've been fascinated you know Ever, ever since and have been continually upskilling and educating myself. But as your listeners may have heard, my sister, Phoebe Connell, uh, Phoebe McLeod, who's um, our mm-hmm. uh, general manager for Heyday, she described the story about our mother who had a um, diagnosis of stage four pancreatic cancer in 20, 2020. Mm-hmm. And that was, I guess, took things to the next next level for me. I became a little bit obsessive. I was already down the rabbit hole, but now I'm sort of, Lost, lost in Wonderland, and uh, and and we got some you know really promising results with with Mum that really helped her through her journey. Um, but through you know my extensive sort of research, there were so many elements that I wanted to be able to access to increase the complexity and hopefully the therapeutic efficacy of the you know of the whole the whole treatment that just weren't available. And and so that's what sort of I guess, um, stimulated us to want to produce our own sort of products 
as mm. as well. Yeah, it's so, it's, it's an all yeah, too common story. Like uh, people who have had someone dear to them or, or even themselves diagnosed with a critical illness, and then they have to undergo the the huge learning the steep learning curve there is in, involved with medical cannabis and i can only imagine that for somebody who's not a gp how much more difficult that would be you know not understanding the, the complexities of how it interacts on a biological level so yeah yeah in, in, and did, did you find it you know quite a, a big learning curve yourself it, it's it's been a, it's been a steep steep learning curve um it's it's a way of approaching medicine that's you know different I guess to what we are you know what we are taught through through medical school. It's very much you know a functional medicine, and so you know the way that we practice at Heyday is that we want to utilize cannabis to reduce the burden of distressing symptoms, and that can be you know a whole range of different symptoms, but. It's then about helping them engage in other health-promoting activities that are going to upregulate and support their body's natural endocannabinoid system. So activating their own in a, in a pharmacy, for, for want of a better word, um, to be working at its optimum with the idea that, you know, people, you know, patients will get to a point where they don't need to rely on, you know, cannabis as well as other pharmaceutical drugs. They might just have it there on an on a as-needed basis. Um, or a top up because their body systems are doing um, what they're meant to be doing and functioning at their optimum. So that's that approach is just you know just very different to what to what was sort of taught. I was going to say just on what you were taught. I mean, coming through the ranks of you know med school and becoming a GP, do you sense that you know the curriculum at med school might actually be expanded to include? more information for, you know, up and coming doctors about, um, I suppose, the use of, of plant medicine, plant-based medicines in Australia, or is it still a topic that's deeply stigmatized and sort of something that would be left off, uh, you know, any courses? Look, we, we can hope, we can hope that it's going to be included in the, in the curriculum, but the curriculums are already pretty jam, jam packed and, you know, something may need to give for you know plant medicines and the endocannabinoid system to, to come to come in. Um, it's an area that is necessary because you know as you're you're aware and the listeners are aware the endocannabinoid system through which cannabis you know uh, evokes a lot of its actions is incredibly important for all bodily systems. So to you know learn about the heart or the brain or or the or the stomach or anything like that without understanding the endocannabinoid system as well, you don't have the full picture. So it, you know, it, even if cannabis and plant medicines aren't brought into the curriculum, the endocannabinoid system should be. Mm -hmm. um, but there's it's it's really divided out there. Um, it's a really divisive sort of topic. You know, people. I think you have to recognise that doctors as well are people, and they have been fed the same prohibitionist stigma for for their entire sort of adult life. So you're you know, you're presenting scientific evidence, but you're, you know, banging your head against these, you know, biases as as well that are pretty pretty strong there. Um, so it look, you know, it will it will happen, but I'm just not sure when it will happen. How hard do you think it is for, for lack of a better term, a green doctor <laughs> to get their head across um, cannabis if they've never prescribed? You know, there's a lot of doctors out there still say it's a whole lot of mumbo jumbo kind of thing, but it, it, one that is interested and wants to learn more, how long do you think it is before they're comfortable? What's that kind of pathway in modern times? 
Look, I think I think that uh, you know varies varies between between doctors. The ones who need to have you know uh, many levels of sort of reassurance and and safety safety nets before they prescribe, and others who would feel a little bit more um, a little bit more adventurous in in their sort of prescribing. But there's there's a, there's a real complexity around cannabis, but there's also a simplicity to it as as well. So there you know there's the complexity of the endocannabinoid system. There's complexity of the the different cannabinoids, the minor cannabinoids, the terpenes, and these types of things. But on a prescribing basis and with the products that we have available, the, the, the prescribing patterns can be quite similar across a range, a range of different conditions. So, you know, I think you can start prescribing after, you know, a couple, a couple of weeks of, you know, in doing some decent, decent sort of education and training, but your understanding and knowledge is that's just going to be the, the starting starting place, you know, just mm. to make sure you're practicing safely, but you'll be optimizing and fine tuning um, and refining your practice as as you sort of go, and as the formulary expands as well to you know to have products that are more nuanced or contain these minor cannabinoids or acidic cannabinoids or you know varied sort of terpene profiles and and, the, and these types of things. So um, I think it'd be a good time now to get into prescribing because. You know, we've got a formulary of over 300 medications at the moment, but, you know, that's going to expand at some point to be thousands. And then we're potentially going to have, you know, um, specific sort of synthetic sort of analogs that work at, you know, particular parts of the endocannabinoid system. And I think that will probably fall into the realm of the, for want of a better, better word, sort of um, cannabis sort of specialist sort of realm. So I think we're going to you know, our, our knowledge is going to need to expand and expand quite greatly. But at the same time, to start prescribing, you can do it with a small, a smaller amount of knowledge and, and, be, and be safe and generally get good results. It's interesting uh, when I hear you talk about it like that, the 300 products. I mean, when you think about other medications, even just some common ones that everybody knows, like paracetamol, it almost doesn't really matter what brand you get. You get paracetamol, you get paracetamol, if that makes sense. You yep. get different, you know, some are a bit easier to swallow and the rest like that. But we don't really see that range of diversity within that, say, THC product, for example. We know no. it's the other things happening around the THC, but there's there's real diversity in, in a THC product. Two, two flowers can be the same THC quantity and totally different effects. Yeah. Um, how, how do you get your head around all those three, you know, you're saying more than 300 products, but how do you even get your head around the 300 products right now? Well, you, you can't, you can't fully, you know, you, you can't, you, you, there's always going to be some very variability and there's always going to be a little bit of un, un, unknown, mm-hmm. but it's about, it's about setting up a, an approach with your patients where you get them to, re, you know, have a reflective practice. And so they become attuned to the changes that are going on within their body as they're, you know, in, incorporating a certain medicine into their treatment regimen. Mm-hmm. And then it's about the clinician listening to that patient and, and listening to those experiences and, and sort of having an understanding if they're getting, you know, they're not getting the therapeutic effects at a certain time of day that they would hope to, you know, understanding that we can, you know, enhance those effects by adding in certain terpenes or if they're getting side effects related to certain elements of that product they're on then we can sort of mitigate those side effects by adding something in. So you don't need to get it perfectly right first, first go. And, and it's, and it's sometimes not possible, you know, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but everybody's endocannabinoid system is, is different. Their physiological context within, you know, even if they have the same disease, their, their physiological context is, is different. And 
you know, this it's a it's a complex herbal medicine, and so yeah. everyone does respond slightly differently. So it's about more setting up the, the the practice around around listening and reflecting, and then and then making adjustments based on what people experience. Um, a question then about, I suppose, your clinical observations with the, the patients that, that you've seen. Um, so I guess speaking broadly, we've seen different trends. I think when you know more and more people were starting to become approved for, for cannabis medications, there was a still quite a, a, a sort of preference or tendency for doctors to be prescribing oils. And we've seen, um, I suppose, the rise of, of flour being prescribed. What have been your observations around, um, you know, oils and flowers and what what works, maybe what didn't work as well for patients? I know it's a mm. bit of a <laughs> tricky one because there's so much to to unpack. But um, yeah, can you at, at a very high level give a, an overview of what you think works in in your practice? Yep. Yeah. So I'll give you, I guess, uh, an overview of my sort of prescribing practice, and you know, each 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 doctor is going to be slightly sort of different, mm-hmm. but you know. We have we have this complex herbal medicine that has hundreds of hundreds of different active components, and the way that those components are arranged and what ratios creates quite unique and varied medicines, which is great because it gives us this ability to choose you know particular products for certain types of day because you, the time of day is going to be dependent on your functional needs and certain symptoms as well. But in general, you know people's needs at night time are to relax, unwind, forget, and and rest, and you know put down their burdens and and their and their pain. So THC predominant treatments are what I sort of employ more predominantly at nighttime. I find them more reliable in regards to those attributes. And then during the day, people need to be up, alert, you know, focused and, you know, and, and um, cognizant. So, you know, CBD predominant treatments are generally I've employed more through the day. And then there's always this sort of personal sort of balance um, between, you know, cost you know, efficacy and functionality. And, and, and that sort of changes depending on someone's sensitivity to THC as well. THC is going to be the main sort of, you know, player there in regards to whether it's going to be impairing, impairing or not, but it also makes the medicine more powerful and more efficacious as well. So I'll start with, you know, generally a CBD predominant treatment during the day, if they have severe symptoms or specific symptoms that, you know, I know will respond better to THC, I'll probably put them on something like a balanced, a balanced product. Um, and then at nighttime going to the more THC predominant and using the oils or the oral formulations or sublingual formulations for background symptoms. So they're like a slow release medicine and, and then using flour for those acute symptoms because most patients who have a chronic condition will have a background level of that. And then depending on the external factors or other influences might have a flare up or an acute exacerbation of, of their condition and using a slow release formulation that takes one to two hours to work is inappropriate for that. So that's where the flower, flower comes in. So it's often done in a very layered, layered approach. Um, and a lot of it's, you know, a lot of it's to do with the condi- condition, but it's also to do with, you know, the individual needs of that person and what they need to achieve in a 24 hour period. Um, so that's my prescribing practice. The, the oils and tinctures are, are great because of the ability to titrate up in very small increments so that you can, you know, start at a sub-therapeutic dose and then slowly increase it, you know, in that slow, mindful, reflective manner until people get to, you know, their therapeutic window or their optimum sort of dosing range. And that's why they're, they're good. And then the flower, you know, 
is is just the the nut the the most complex version of of, of cannabis and the complexity of cannabis I believe gives it a lot of its efficacy and to have that available for that instantaneous re relief is 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 a wonderful option as well and it can be easily titrated as well because you can just start with one one inhalation wait 10 15 minutes you know have another if if you need to so you can you can do it all slowly and incrementally to find some optimal dosing ranges i think once patients are on an established dose for ease of you know ease of use ease of transportation going to a fixed dosing sort of product that a soft gel or a capsule or a wafer or something like that, you know, is, is appropriate. But in the initial phases, often the oils are the easiest to find that, you know, more precise dosing. Yeah. And within those products, I guess, I heard you say it earlier. Um, what are you looking for even more specifically? I heard you say um, the acid analogs, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so we're talking about other minor cannabinoids and CBDA and things like that. I yeah. know some of our listeners like to get a bit granular on, on these types of things. So please feel free to go right into depth with it. Cause we've talked about it a little bit on this podcast, but not, a, not as much about the acid analogs. Yeah. So, so look, I guess the, the main, the, the main cannabinoids that we're basing most of our prescribing decision around are the CBD and THC content, because that's what mm. we have most widely available to us, but I'm excited for the future when we have all of these other, um, other elements as well available to us. Like so, the acidic version of the of CBD and THC are probably the most obvious place to start because they're still abundant and readily available. You know, potentially from this, you know, the raw products that we have. So, for the listeners who don't know, the acidic versions are the un the 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 acidic versions are the naturally occurring sort of versions of those cannabinoids within the plant. They go through a process called decarboxylation to form CBD and THC. So that decarboxylation most, is most commonly done by application of heat. So when you have raw cannabis and you put it in a vaporizer or you, know, you use a lighter to ignite it, then that naturally decarboxylates the, the THCA or, or CBDA. Most of the extraction you know, methods that, we, that are most commonly employed, you know, CO2 and ethanol, extraction as well just through the processing the decarboxylation will occur with those acidic cannabinoids but they can be maintained through through careful extraction processes or alternative extraction processes or just using the raw cannabis without ever ever heating it you can have access to both cbda and thca and the reason you'd want to do that is so cbda and thca work differently than cbd and and thc so cbda it has very has very similar activity to CBD, except it's more water soluble, which means that it's much more readily absorbed. So there are studies that show that it has probably up to 55 times the bioavailability of CBD. It also has much stronger anti-nausea properties, up to a thousand times stronger as an anti-nausea agent than, than CBD. And um, it also has some stronger anti-inflammatory properties as well, having some COX-2 selective um, in inhibitor sort of properties, which is what your conventional NSAIDs use as well. One of the other differences between CBDA and CBD is that CBDA doesn't have that same negative allosteric modulation at the CB1 receptor, which does, means it doesn't dampen down the effects of, of THC. So often we use CBD for its own reasons, but also to 
reduce the intoxicating nature or the anxiety provoking nature of THC. So there's that synergy there. CBDA doesn't have that same, same interaction. And that can be beneficial for some patients who find that THC without CBD is more effective, but then you can add CBDA in as well to have an added, added benefit without dampening down the, the THC effect. So that's, that's CBDA in a, in a, in a nutshell. Um, and, you know, at the moment, I know that Phytoca have, um, you know, in, within their product, you know, some CBDA, um, well, but I often get... We, 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 don't, we don't talk too much about that on the, the podcast. That's We try to keep them as separate well, as possible. Only, well, okay, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to give you a plug uh, against your will, but um, also I get my patients to make a lot of cannabis tea as, yep. as well. So yep. if they put a, put a small, small bud in hot water for 15 minutes because of the, uh, the water solubility of the, the acidic cannabinoids, they'll yeah. go into the, the solution. So you can get it that way as well. And it's a nice herbal sort of type tea. And then THCA, which is the acidic version of, of THC. One of the main differences there is that it doesn't actually have the same direct interaction with the cannabinoid receptors. So it's non-intoxicating. It doesn't cause any, any impairment. And it works through completely different you know, mechanisms, but it can be a really powerful anti-nausea agent. It can have really strong anti-inflammatory and immune modulating sort of potential as well. And there has been some reported evidence that, that in certain patients, it can be a, a, a strong anti-convulsant at very low doses as, mm. as well. So it doesn't, you know, it's in regards to that, it doesn't work for all types of epilepsy or all patients, but if it does, you know, they can often get relief at very low doses. And one of the biggest issues at the moment with using CBD as an anticonvulsant agent is that you generally need to use very high doses for it to be effective. And that's mm. not, you know, affordable yeah. long-term for a lot of patients as it's not, you know, subsidized uh, through the PBS. So those two, you know, excite me. And I think that they don't need to be necessarily utilized on their, on their own, but, you know, in combination with CBD and THC, I think we could find, you know, even a greater sort of ensemble uh, effect there. And then obviously, you know, some of those minor cannabinoids, your CBG and CBGA, you know, I'm looking forward to the days when we have those readily available, you know, um, as, as well. Um, a question on uh, just availability. I know there's, it's been a, a sort of a hot talking point for quite some time now that it's actually probably cooling down a bit. Um, but the talk of having an over-the-counter CBD product that um, people will be able to, to go to pharmacies and get directly just yep. curious, from a doctor's perspective, assuming that that product is likely to be a CBD isolate in a carrier oil, because I think it's got to be 98% or more CBD, um, and, it's, and it's, I think the, the TGA has set the, the limit of 150 milligrams daily. What types of conditions would somebody be able to sort of attend a pharmacy and get that type of product to treat? Is that going to, to be able to help many people, do you think? What, what's your take on, on those products? Yeah, look, I, I, so yes, they need to be greater than 98%, you know, um, CBD, but they, they can still have the terpenes and they can still have a very small amount of THC. So there is the potential for full spectrum products, you know, going, going over the counter. They just need to be... Less than two percent TA. Less than two percent. So there, so there are products out there that that exist. So, um, you know, more THC would probably make it more efficacious, but you know, it's not going to be just just isolates that that get over the counter. And to be honest, you know, for a lot of 
the patients that I treat, they're probably using, you know, less, less than that when they're using CBD because, you know, any more than that, it's, you know, a financial burden. So the, most of the studies that have looked at CBD that are out there have used very high doses of, of CBD and that's where they've shown sort of efficacy. Um, but, you know, from case series, case reports and other specialist doctors in this area, you know, overseas, you can often get relatively good results um, with lower doses of, of CBD as well. So just, you know, your general sort of stress um, often responds, you know, to quite low doses of CBD, you know, 10 to 20 milligrams, you know, a couple of times a day can, can you know, make a big difference. You know, sleep, sleep related conditions, you might need, you know, you might need a, 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 high, a higher dose, you know, and I'm talking full spectrum sort of products rather than isolates, because you often need more of an isolate to, to get the same, same sort of results. But, you know, you might need, you know, 40 milligrams or something like that in the, in the evening for CBD, if, you know, CBD is going to be something that helps you with, with sort of sleep. So it's a slightly higher dose, you know, the more, you know, the more severe pain or inflammatory conditions, you might need slightly higher doses. You're not going to be able to treat things like, you know, epilepsy at, at those, at those doses. You're not going to be able to get the antipsychotic properties of, of CBD at those doses. But for a lot of the general conditions that CBD is utilized for, then that, you know, that limit should be, you know, should be adequate to have at least partial, um, you know, partial improvement of, of symptoms. So the, it's, from, a, from what I've seen, I think that will be, you know, a, a decent a decent amount for most patients. The thing is, the, the reason it's not over the counter at the moment is because all the studies that have been done have been at those higher doses. You know, these companies are now needing to prove efficacy. So they're having to do clinical trials, which is great. It's a great thing that we're having to do these clinical trials because, you know, at the moment, so many people are just using CBD as a tonic, but there's no real evidence around it. So it's forcing our hand to build up that evidence base. Mm. Um, and that's going to be great for cannabis as a medicine, you know, in general, getting accepted by, by, by the wider medical community. So I, I think it is hard though. It is hard though, when you're doing clinical trials on products that can be so different to, to, I mean, you can draw general inferences, but it's, it really ends up kind of being product specific unless it is, let's say an isolate. And uh, I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off before. I, I appreciated the plug, but we try to keep everything a little bit more neutral for the uh, integrity of, of, of the, the show. But, um, you know, when you do find a product that is, say, higher in CBDA or CBG or things mm -hmm. like this, if you study, do a clinical study on that product, not only may other products that are CBD dominant have a completely different profile, but potentially even that product might have a different profile the next time you uh, you do a batch. And obviously we're working towards the space where, where we'll have a lot of consistency in products, but, you know, as opposed to say other say oils where you've got a 10% uh, leeway for the, for the reported mm. cannabinoids and, and, or any, any actives, you've got that kind of 20% on, on the herbal medication. So, so flower preparations, um, that's kind of indicative that each time it might be slightly different, uh, if that makes sense. So, yeah, what, what's your take on, on that? I think I think it's um, something that we're never going to be able to fully control for mm. um, the, the variation. Even if you know, even if you have like the you know the same exact grow conditions, the same exact you know nutrients yeah. that's put put on there, the same lighting schedule. You know, you, you're growing from clients that you know. There's so many variables in the in the drying process, and you know. Um, and then in the extraction sort of process as, as well. And then just, you know, how it's stored, 
be be if there's you know if there's exposure to to light heat oxygen any of those things along the along the way then those products are, are going to going to change um i think it's great that we'll have a general you know the general evidence base you know but you're right the specific products themselves are the ones that it's going to be most relevant to those 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 uh, outcomes um but i guess you know we need to build the evidence base, but we also need to be aware that you know we need mm. to just continue listening to our to our patients, and if they say that something's not working, uh, then then it's time to time to change it up a little bit. I've, and, I've got a, a really good question. Sorry, I've cut you off there. Um, yeah, that's cool. I've just got a question. Uh, before you saying you need, say, for epilepsy, a much higher dose of CBD isolate to get near, say, a full spectrum product, your average mm. full spectrum product. Do you think it's always the case where you can just up the isolate until you can get that effect from a full spectrum? Or do you think in some circumstances, the outcomes are not achievable from the other, like one is not achievable from another product? Um, yes, yeah, so look, a lot of the time you can just continue upping, upping the dose of the isolate and you'll probably get to a point where you do, you know, get similar, similar results. But you know, with those increased doses also come increased sort of side effects and increased chances of medications that are interactions as well as increased, mm. increased sort of costs. Um, but there are some conditions where it does look like there is a ceiling effect with uh, CBD isolates uh, compared to a full spectrum product where when you do continue to increase the dose, they get ongoing, ongoing benefit. Um, I've heard, look, I've heard, heard that through, through webinars and stuff like that. I couldn't, couldn't tell you exactly what those conditions are at, at this sort of stage, but they do probably follow different sort of dose, dose response curves as well. So normally with CBD, I'd say the more you use generally, the more effective it is. Because CBD is a medication that works on about 65 different receptors, enzymes, and neurotransmitters within the body, and it won't and it will activate different pathways at, at different doses. But there are some studies that do show a multi-basic sort of response with CBD. There are other ones that have shown some, you know, a bit of a U-curve with CBD as well, which is where the low doses were, were quite effective, moderate doses became less effective, and it wasn't until you got up to really high doses again that it went back to that effectiveness and then it kept going up. So um it's it's a <laughs> it's a bit of a strange a strange medication to sort of get get your head around. Uh, but yeah, most of the time you can get similar results. You just need to probably use about five times as much with an isolate to get there. Mm. And what how how does your THC prescribing go? Are you you know cautious? Are you pretty free? <laughs> you know, like what's your what's your take? I, I know everyone starts off more on the conservative side yeah. and kind of loosens up over time. But where would you sit these days? Look, I, I probably think, to, you know, as, as, a, as, as a beneficial medication, I think THC probably, you know, um, beats CBD most, most days for especially the more severe end of the, the, the spectrum. Um, and I'm pretty, you know, I'm liberal with my, with my THC prescribing in that I do prescribe a lot of, you know, THC-based based medications. But in the way I approach it is the same for, for everyone, whether they're, you know, cannabis naive or whether they're an experienced, you know, uh, cannabis, you know, user who's been self-medicating for a period of time. And that's to start at a, you know, sub-therapeutic dose, a dose below where they're likely to experience any, you know, significant positive effects or significant sort of side effects. And then every, you know, three to four days, increase that dose marginally and get them to track their, you know, their therapeutic response. And, you know, most you know, most people out there think that you need to feel intoxicated or impaired or stoned to receive the benefits of THC. And that's just plain wrong. You know, mm. there's a lot of therapeutic activity and therapeutic effects that can occur before that point of intoxication. 
So I, I talk about the therapeutic window with, with THC and it's probably most relevant to, to THC. And that what that means is the therapeutic window is the point where you start getting benefit to the point where you start getting side effects or intoxication. And the closer you get to that point of intoxication or side effects, often the better efficacy you, you have. But once you get to that point, that's the point where you, where you stop at. You don't really get any ongoing benefit um, when you consume more THC past that point, you just become more intoxicated. And, you know, that intoxicated effect can be beneficial for, cert for certain things. It can help people sort of, you know, forget, you know, trauma and it can be great for, for PTSD or it can help them sort of deepen, you know, ref other, you know, reflective or meditative or, or yoga sort of type practices, or it can even have, you know, a spiritual element to, to certain individuals. But the beneficial effect of that intoxication actually reduces the more frequently you experience it. So when you're using THC, you should be using it as a medicine at a point before intoxication, you know, experiencing those intox intoxicating effects can be of benefit, but you should be reserving it for, you know, special occasions or to actually try and work, work, you know, use the medicine to help you work on certain things you're wanting to achieve. Yeah, I, sa I save it for pain. special occasions like my birthday. And <laughs> yeah, I seem to have a Saturday special night. occasion every week, Mitch. But um, yeah. I, I um, and just on that point, so chronic um, intoxication through THC from a from a doctor's perspective is is really um, is it likely to build your immunity to those effects such that you actually are going to then need higher and higher doses of THC to reach that same level of intoxication were that to be the goal for some users who are perhaps, you know, for, for trauma or any other reason, maybe wishing to sort of break into that zone. Yeah. So, so the, the, the more you spend over this side, you know, once you go past that optimum dose, the more, the more you spend, you know, intoxicated, the more likely you are to build, build tolerance. And that to tolerance occurs because your body's own endocannabinoid system is being continually flooded with excessive amounts of, you know, cannabinoids. So it becomes lazy and, and those receptors that are there to, you know, attach to the, you know, the circulating cannabinoids go back in, inside the cell. And, um, and so building, building tolerance means you're going to need to have escalating doses of THC to have the same, same effects. But it also mm -hmm. means that when you don't have cannabis on board, you're, body's own in a pharmacy your natural endocannabinoid system is not going to be able to work as effectively as as it as it should and therefore when you don't have cannabis you know you, you, you become dysregulated in regards to being able to control your stress your pain your mood your sleep um digestive issues and all that kind of stuff and that's what you see with the withdrawals um from from cannabis is, is a lot of those is a lot of those symptoms and that's it because your endocannabinoid system has been uh been, been made sort of um, downregulated or, or, or dysfunctional. So, you know, there, there's, there's, but there's two elements to tolerance. There's a tolerance to the intoxication. And if you're chasing the intoxication, then the, then you're likely to build this, you know, I guess bad, bad tolerance, we'll, we'll, we'll call it, where you could potentially be dysregulating your endocannabinoid system. But there's also that point where you're getting some mild sort of side effects, some mild impairment. Um, and if you stay on that dose consistently for a period of one to two weeks, you'll probably get a tolerance to the side effects without building a tolerance to the therapeutic effects mm -hmm. as, as well. So there's, I guess, two different types of tolerance there. Um, one's beneficial and one's, one's not. 
What about, um, have you ever considered uh, prescribing, say, a, you, know, you, you prescribe CBD isolate oil? Have you ever considered prescribing, say, CBG isolate oil? Um, something like that, CBC, CBN, something like that. Yeah, look, I, I'd, I'd consider it. I'd prefer to, I'd prefer to have a full spectrum of CBG product. Sure. But if that's, but if that's all I had available to me, then yes, and I'd probably, you know, incorporate it into, you know, into my prescribing practice. Um, you know, I, I'd probably use it, you know, in the place of CBD for patients who find that CBD makes them feel a little bit anxious rather than re relieving their anxiety because it's probably more relaxing. You know, those who have metabolic dysfunction, you know, CBG can be really beneficial for helping with people's blood pressure and you know, blood, blood sugars um as as well as well as incorporating into you know patients who are undergoing cancer um and you know using cannabis to help them in that in their journey because cbg does seem to be often the ingredient that's in certain sort of chemo bars that makes them more more effective you know in regards to their anti-tumor sort of properties mm. um so yeah i'd, I'd add, it, add it into the spectrum i wouldn't necessarily <laughs> prescribe it on its own Right. Okay. And do we dare even go down the CBGA and CBCA in this territory? Yeah. Well, look, I, 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 th I think there's there's probably going to be so much that we unlock and learn yeah. around around yeah. these as well. And the you know there's there's lab based studies and there's animal studies, but there's not a huge amounts of evidence in 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 humans. So yeah. You know, but I think that you know that's only that's only going to increase, you know, over the next 10 years. No. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of research to be done. And if you ever require any patience for that research, Dr. Jim, um, I know two guys who would be interested. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll put you in touch. Um, no, I actually, I haven't seen a, a CBG dominant full spectrum oil or any, for that matter, any other of the minor cannabinoids playing the role as sort of the, the lead dominant mm. cannabinoid in, in a full spectrum. Yep. Um, but certainly in terms of from, from your prescribing perspective, is there, uh, are you seeing more and more full spectrum oils becoming available? Is your sense that, you know, you've got quite a limited selection of, of good full spectrum oils or are you, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, what, what do you, what do you look for and what, what's your sense of what's out there? So there is a, a decent amount of, Good. I guess you know what, what do we classify as full full spectrum? You know, um, I guess is the is the first thing. Mm. And you know, there's a lot of products that are, look like they're the same same product, but you know, depending on the the chemo bar that's gone in there, and then the the actual extraction process and how much care they've taken in that extraction process is going to you know lead to a, a bit of a, a different product. But look, to be honest, I don't really look at the isolates. I only ever look at the full spectrum sort of products or the broad spectrum. You know, for those who um, you know, uh, in regards to the driving driving sort of implications, um, but there is a decent decent amount of similar full spectrum products, but we're sort of lacking, you know, diff differing sort of ratios of CBD to THC at a bare minimum, and then and then having these significant components of these other elements that I'd like to like to sort of see, and and you know, it'd be good to have better analysis, terpene analysis of the finished oil as yeah. well because we get a terpene analysis sometimes of the flour that's gone into producing that oil but there's so much that's lost through the extraction process mm. um that you know what you get at the end is going to be very different to what went in and it'd be nice to know exactly what came out at the end as well and then we'd really be able to see who had the most full spectrum sort of oils uh, as as well but it's not really uh, yeah, we're, all, we're all for that um yeah absolutely 
just wondering so in terms of your now translating all of that that's in the plant to your actual clinical observations i know that um you have a bit of interest in as you said complex chronic diseases potentially palliative care and and, and mental health what what kind of what kind of outcomes do you see in those indications in your everyday practice? Look, the more complex the patient is, the, the better result I generally see with, mm. with cannabis. Mm. Because if someone, if you just think about it from the endocannabinoid system perspective, which is how I like to bring everything back to the body's own natural endocannabinoid system, the more, the more dysregulated their endocannabinoid system is, the more areas they're going to you know be having issues with so if someone has difficulty with their pain with their sleep with their digestion with their mood you know um and and other processes then it's likely that there is a significant you know endocannabinoid dysfunction there so then when you're adding in cannabis in the right way and you're using that cannabis to tonify and upregulate the endocannabinoid system it can have you know profound benefits and also when someone has all of that symptomatic burden you don't need to completely fix their pain or their sleep or their, their mood for them to have a, a major improvement in their um, capacity to function in daily life. Because if you can help their mood, their sleep, their pain, you know, even a little bit across the board, then you can have a, you know, putting all those together, you have a major improvement in their, um, in their ability to ability to function. So the yeah. more dysregulated they are, the better the results often are with, with, with cannabis. Um, but, you know, Palliative care can be really profound, not just from the symptomatic management, but to help with, you know, to help with acceptance, to help them to actually sort of um, be able to face what's to come and then be able to communicate that often to, to family members without the, you know, without the, the distress. And so it can be really beneficial, not just for the patient going through that journey, but for the, for the family um, mm -hmm. as well. And mental health is a, is a, is a funny one where, where it can be really beneficial for mental health, but if used incorrect correctly or if, you know in the wrong person, it can exacerbate it and make it and make it worse. So that's why it's really important to start it. You know, have that sort of prescribing practice where you start it. You're starting starting low. You know, you're going. You're increasing. You know, based on that person becoming attuned to their to their body and that reflective practice. You want them to be setting you know intentions with their use as as well. So you know, rather than just utilizing cannabis to try and be not anxious or to have no pain you know i try and get people to think okay i'm going to utilize cannabis to reduce my pain to or my anxiety to a point where i can then engage in other activities and that might be going for a walk you know it might be just enjoying you know natural surrounds it might be doing some breath work it might be doing some meditation um and and so you're, you're getting them to engage in other things that are going to be beneficial for yeah. their condition as well as well it's interesting. Like I, I was thinking about it the other day and sometimes you, you come across people maybe from the more alternative space, let's say, um, who are like, you know, everything's just interconnected in the body. It's holistic health and it's kind of not really based in much. I feel like the endocannabinoid system brings some kind of science to that. That brings clarity to all of that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I think that's why it really appeals to people who are potentially against traditional Western medicine, let's say, but, you know, are still feeling like it kind of is that cross-section between Western medicine now becoming more mainstream and alternative medicine, let's say. 
yeah. where and I, I just think yeah that endocannabinoid system really brings the, the science to that you know the guts connected to your brain connected to yeah. your, you know so it's um yeah it's, it, is, it is like it's the cellular communication network between all of these things and and uh and you know the gut brain you know the, the gut brain access you know that's the endocannabinoids really that are helping them with that communication you know from one from one to the other and and it does it it's so it's 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 a holistic approach because it's a system that's everywhere, but it mm. allows us to use our targeted sort of thinking patterns because we can focus in on one area that has a holistic outcome rather than trying to, rather than being overwhelmed by all the little bits and pieces that we need to do. We can treat someone holistically, but be targeted at the same time, which, mm. which I like. Keeps, yeah, keeps things, keeps things uh, simple for me. Yeah, and it, I hear a lot of doctors say that it removes the need for polypharmacy, like where you have, you know, different, mm. I guess, different medications that might be treating the symptoms of potentially other medications and, you know, this, these two or three or four-pronged approaches to, to medicine where each one has yep. its own benefits and, and downsides, whereas it seems like cannabis has less of the downsides than, than maybe some more pharmaceutical, let's say, drugs yeah. on the market. Well, you, you think you you know with this complex interconnected you know the network of different different sort of systems that are all that are all connected. So when we're using monomolecular medications that are targeting one area, it pokes this area, but you know it causes an effect over, over here. Whereas cannabis is more you know gently shifting the whole network towards a certain sort of outcome, and it's you know it's upregulating the regulatory mechanism of the body. So if it was you know, going astray, it naturally brings mm. itself back back into mm. into balance in, in a way. And and because it is a complex herbal medicine as well, um, it's sort of there's there's a there's a type of medicine called network pharmacology, which is using you know lots of you know low dose low low doses of lots of different sort of you know um, uh, low dose low dose medicine low dose of lots of different sort of you know um, compounds. To, to work across the network rather than trying to sort of pick one area and sort of, you know, blast it with excessive amounts of, you know, force. Um, and cannabis sort of innately sort of does that. But it's a, it's a type of thing that they're trying to sort of implement with other sort of pharmaceuticals as well, where they're using, you know, uh, an array of low doses of normal conventional medicines to have, a, to have a, you know, an overall effect rather than, you know, targeting sort of one area. Um, but, yeah, network pharmacology is sort of how it works and it's an area that's sort of you know expanding in the, in the regular sort of um clinical realm as well i'm going to take a stab at, a, at an analogy because i was thinking about it as well the other day i was talking to a friend who's a big gym uh, junkie let's say and i was having a debate with him between whether you train for a sport high performance sport and you, you grow muscles as a result of pursuing that sport and their ancillary to the function Mm. Um, versus going and just sitting there and pumping your bicep and, you know, you might not have strong legs or, or the connective tissue and you, you're not training anything else. If you've got just this kind of out of proportion muscle um, being targeted in one way, is, is that kind of, I don't know if it's a, the exact analogy, but that's, it, it kind of came up in my head the other day. When, when I like, we, I like it. It's sort of like, it's sort of like a lot of pharmaceutical medications have skipped leg day. Is that kind of <laughs> yeah, <like? laughs> exactly. And, and, and um, cannabis includes leg day. Exactly. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That's right. So you I mean, in my experience, it's always been legless day, but um, I, I guess you could <laughs> say that. Yeah, it's, it's possible. You'll um, find that therapeutic window. It sounds like <laughs> yes. And jump out it. Yeah. Um, 
Andrew, I think uh, any, any other questions for, for Dr. Jim while we have him? Otherwise, I think, um, I think we've, uh, we've extracted quite a bit of wisdom today. Well, I, the only thing that's more, uh, well, I suppose it is a question, but I just, we are recording this prior to um, everyone in the world of medical cannabis converging on the Sunshine Coast for the United in Compassion Conference, which mm-hmm. um, the lovely Lucy Haslam is putting together it's been on a bit of a hiatus with uh with COVID and getting rescheduled but it looks like it's finally happening it's going to say rain hail or shine but there's not going to be any shine at this rate it's just rain <laughs> just rain and hail yeah hail um but uh no we're really looking forward to it and my question jim is can we catch up with you for a beer while we're at uic 100 percent, mate i'm gonna be there <laughs> uh yeah no i'm gonna be, be even though i live in live in there so i've got a got a um rental down that way so i can uh enjoy myself without having to worry about transportation so uh, well played. we are <laughs> looking forward to it looking forward to yeah meeting you in person and and phoebe and and the whole gang so it should be should be a great weekend but i um, never no, think no. of it as down that way i always think it is up that way <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all a matter of perspective but yeah, uh no thank you so much um dr jim for coming on and just sharing all of your insights it's it's hugely helpful i know there was something in that conversation both for you know people just beginning in the space and trying to learn a few things and also um, some of the more uh you know experienced um patients or just people um, interested in the space so thank you so much and for, people um, skipping on. leg day as well and people skipping leg day exactly um, <laughs> all righty well until you i see take care and yeah we'll see you soon cheers cheers guys yeah. really appreciate it thanks, thanks jim appreciate thanks. it Talk soon. bye, bye.